back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. I am joined by a couple different guests to talk about Nope. We got both uh, Josh Brown and Daniel Lima joining me together for the first time since uh, we talked about, I think, Judas and the Black Messiah last year, another Daniel Cooley movie. Uh, Josh, what's going on? Uh, not much, not much. How about you, other Josh? I'm doing all right, Daniel. Uh, thanks for being back to talk about a movie that involves horses. I, I know it was a hard sell to get you here. Oh, yeah. And I was so happy at a certain moment in this movie when I realized that, oh, oh, we got the right movie for me. We got the right movie for me. Okay, I am curious to know exactly what that moment was, but just to give us a, a quick setup, uh, Nope, again, newest movie from writer-director Jordan Peele. We, though, you know, if anyone saw these tra trailers, they were maybe a little disoriented when the movie kind of starts out on a soundstage in 1998 on the, sick, on the set of a sitcom called Gordy's Home about a chimpanzee who lives with a family and, you know, regular uh, sitcom hijinks ensue, but something snaps with that chimp and he decides to just kind of literally just uh, go feral on the entire set and kills and names a bunch of people except for a young actor named ricky jupe park who hides under a table and seems to get elicit a better reaction from the chimp before he gets shot we jump back to present day we are on a ranch owned by an otis hayward senior played by keith david who trains uh horses for a show in hollywood all of a sudden though his son played uh oj played by daniel kuluya he sees his dad slumped over who is he has just gotten impaled by a nickel that fell out of the sky he and his sister, M, played by Kiki Palmer, they come to see that, like, hey, there might actually be some kind of UFO out here circling around that could be responsible for our dad's death. And they decide they need to kind of capture it on film to try and capitalize this on this. And, you know, their mission uh, goes forth. And they also come into contact with the adult version of that child actor, Jupe, who's played by Stephen Yen, who probably has his own agenda as he runs a nearby carnival called Jupiter's Claim. Daniel, I'm going to start with you because, first of all, I just want to thank you. You do more preparation for these podcasts than I do. It's pretty insane. <laughs> you, you, you went so far back as to listen to a podcast that you weren't even on that Josh and I were on when we talked about us, and you rewatched us. You you watched this movie, uh, Nope, twice in theaters. So I feel like you, in in your course of preparing, as you were apprising me of all of this research, you like talk yourself into like not actually liking us as much as you thought you did, and uh, as you were kind of processing all this and preparing, and I'm wondering. I know you liked Nope when you first saw it, but I'm just wondering, as you've done all this preparation, I know you're, again, I know your initial reaction to Nope was, that was pretty good, I really liked that, as you rewatched it and done all this other research, and I'm sure consuming other different takes about it, have you even come to appreciate it more? Is this on, like, the get-out level for you as far as Jordan Peele's accomplishments? Because in some ways, I think it was kind of aimed to your interest, and you might have been an easy mark for a movie like this as a horse guy. So here's the thing. I loved Get Out. Right. I thought that it was the best movie of the year. And uh, I, I, I was really taken by it. I meant to rewatch it before we did this pod. I did not. Um, but I did. Well, how dare you not rewatch a third <laughs> movie for this movie? But I did rewatch us. Now, actually, I did not like us the first time I saw it. I, I in fact, really didn't like it. Oh. And I think a big part of that was that I went in with the expectation of this is the man who made Get Out. I wanted something out of that movie that I was just not going to get, which is a point that y'all made on the podcast that you did on it. And I went into Nope kind of without that expectation because of my experience with us. Now with Nope, I went in, you know, just kind of expecting, I'm just going to enjoy it for whatever it is. And what I found it was, was just a big kind of popcorn block spectacle. I think that 
it's tough to, to talk about this without contextualizing its placement in Jordan Peele's filmography. I think that Jordan Peele with Get Out had a clear statement to make. I think it's something that he had been, percol- had been percolating in his head for however long. He had the time to develop that idea into a cohesive story uh, that tied into the themes that he was trying to explore, the statement that he wants to get across. And I think it all combined beautifully. It, it was a raw film in my memory. It was, you know, like the raw filmmaking talent was there, but it, there was a clear like statement to be made. With us, even on rewatch, I think that it is a clumsy sort of attempt to synthesize a bunch of big ideas in order to meet the expectation of an audience that wanted the voice that came through and get out. But even though I was not quite as grabbed by the message of that movie or the messaging of that movie, I think that he had clearly developed as a visual storyteller. I think that that's a movie where he started to really come into his own as a director watching it after seeing Nope, I was able to like better appreciate like just his ability to set a mood, set a pace from scene to scene and within the scene, like his ability to move the camera around, the look of the movie, the performances he was able to get out of the actors. I think that it is a far better crafted movie than Get Out. And with this one, Nope does have things that it's about. There are themes to be dissected. There is, I guess, something that's trying to be said about Black America, Black people's placement in the American myth, our relationship with nature. But at the end of the day, I think this motherfucker just wanted to make a movie about aliens. I think that he wanted to make a a big blockbuster alien movie, you know, that kind of harkens back to the 50s science fiction that he loves. And I think he succeeded beautifully. I think this is one of the best movies of the year. I think that it's one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen in so long. I, I, I love it as an ode to horror. I love it as an ode to 50s science fiction and B movies. And, you know, I think that he's coming to his own as a visual storyteller. I think he, it's one of the best directed movies I've seen this year. And yet, I'm starting to think that this guy's not really that great at writing. Ooh, okay. Well, let's circle back to that. And I want, I want, I want to talk to Josh because you just, uh, you, you, you mentioned the visual part of this. And I think, at least, I don't know if I, I can't remember if I actually read your letterbox review, Josh, but I know you were probably a little more uh, mixed in your reaction to the movie than Daniel was. And I'm curious uh, because I've seen a lot of people name check your boy Steven Spielberg in regards to this movie and, you know, wondering just how closely he is trying to make, make any kind of homage to Close Encounters or something like this. And just without a lot of the visual stuff he's doing in the final act. And as, as I mentioned, the final act, I'm, I, I don't really feel like doing a spoiler or non-spoiler section for this movie. By the time I put it out, everyone will have had a chance to see it. They know, they know who Jordan Peele is. We don't really need to go through that effort for this. Josh, I'm wondering, did you come away from this pretty impressed visually in the same way Daniel did, but maybe the other parts didn't work for you? Like, wh- wh- Where did you ultimately come down on what worked the most for you about versus what didn't? Well, can we start with the fact that like, I'm probably the only person that thinks Us is his best movie, that it's better than Get <laughs> Out. So wow. I, didn't, I did not remember that being your take from when we talked no, about it no. again. Like, this was, let me, like, start with, like, the Jordan Peele, like, you know, I guess three films that we have so far, right? And bonus points for Keanu, which if we count that, you know, i probably put that. He also up. wrote Candyman, right? Um, no, I think that one was. I think he produced. I yeah, I, just, I, I, I think I'm pretty sure he has a screenplay credit on it, but I'll, I can check that. But go ahead. But but anyway, but of like the directed films, right? I was sort of like with Get Out is one of those things like I thought 
like I I really liked it, but as like a story and and I liked that it existed, but it felt I think I was kind of always put off by how like not quite developed like his visual skills were at that time. And so like I always kind of compared it to like Reservoir Dogs where I was like, look, this is an impressive directorial debut. Like any filmmaker would hope to have a movie as accomplished as get out as their directorial debut right um but at the same time i was like i just feel like this dude is gonna have a long career that you know he'll have movies that surpass it he'll have his pulp fiction or his bastards or once upon a time hollywood whatever uh that will show how much he has grown from it you know what i mean and then when i saw like us he had like as daniel mentioned like developed so much more as a visual storyteller and I really responded to that but I also didn't find like the subtext and the messaging of us to be messy uh it definitely had like the burden of following up get out definitely had like certain moments that felt like it was playing to like trying to recapture like the memeable sunken place or whatever but for the most part I thought he kind of you know, rose to the expectations with that. And I thought like the that movie central message about like political polarization, I thought was succinct. I thought he accomplished it beautifully. Now with Nope, this probably, and I, let me preface it, I liked it coming out of it, but this is probably the most disappointed I've been with Peel thus far. And I think Peel, because his movies are a lot about different ideas and he's trying to, be subversive and then he has this M night quality to him both in the branding of his movies and also some of the some might say weaknesses or whatever we might get into that later um but I feel like you know with Peel I'm always going to be excited no matter what he does and I just think we're all going to kind of have like a Peel movie that we respond to a lot and some Peel movies that we're left cold by so with this film I felt weirdly I felt like, and there are some impressive stuff with, like, he is a gifted filmmaker. Like, I felt like it was less accomplished on both both a storytelling uh, point of view and also on a visual uh, level as Us. I thought Us was a perfect marriage of his storytelling, both visually and thematically. And this one, I felt like the ideas, even though, like, my interpretation of the movie is that it's about God and the great unknown, I felt like it was it was less ambitious um, with his ideas than us and get out. Circle well, sir, again. I keep using the corporate speak. We can circle back to what 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 what, it, what it's about. But I I I, I want to just touch on. I guess first of all, you mentioned us because I think it ties into my overall point about this one. And with respect to us, you kind of said that you think the a lot of his social commentary does kind of hold up. And I actually think for the most part it does. I just didn't like how he explained. He tried to explain every little thing at the end of us in like the last twenty minutes of the movie and all the mechanics and logistics of how the tethered worked. I just like kind of nitpick certain things about how that would actually work in practice. Where it's like I don't. I didn't need. To know every little detail of how this came to be so one thing i really appreciated about nope was that it doesn't necessarily try to do that and try and explain everything the alien is trying to do at the end and it doesn't try and like wrap it up neatly in the same way that, that, and that sometimes being... for me like kind of to its detriment and there's probably like a sequence we could talk about that like speaks to this sure and I, so i guess that was one thing i really respected about it uh, about nope i think what kind of like 
maybe bothered what maybe bothered me a little more was that like i didn't necessarily the, the, the social commentary in it to and again yeah i think we can all agree maybe not as much of it and that and as daniel was saying i think that's a good thing you can just kind of sit back and and there's a way to sit back and enjoy this as just an alien movie and not have to try and think too hard about all that other stuff which i certainly appreciate though i guess i came in with a slightly different expectation of maybe what i wanted in that regard and what he was going to give me in that regard so i had to I, i'm kind of like readjusting on the fly as i'm watching this movie and like okay well i maybe it's not exactly what i thought i was getting myself into and i got i got to roll with the punches and i really was able to do that quite effectively because i thought the movie was rather like visually stunning at the end though at the same time i think there was some stuff at the end where it's like if we are going to talk about what it's about it's like, you know, especially because a lot of people, have, I mean, I'm not sure how much of the coverage you guys have consumed, but like a lot of the people, if you listen to any podcast or read any reviews, see any take on it, it's all debating like, how do, what does the Gordy stuff mean? How does the Gordy stuff tie into this? Does it effectively tie into that? And all that, everyone is really, there's a lot of hand-wringing going on about that. I, I didn't talk too much about the the, the Jupe character at, at the beginning and, and what that means to all the people that are watching it. But like one take that a lot of people are having, including some of the friends I saw with it was they're trying to kind of take what it means and what happens to Jupe is like, okay, Jordan Peele wants to say something about the way we commodify tragedy, what this all means and all that. And I'm like, all right, I, I hear what you guys are saying about that. But like, just because he got his comeuppance for doing that, I don't know if that necessarily buy that like that is exactly, you, you nailed exactly what Jordan Peele is trying to say. Because at the same time, the OJ and M characters, they're trying to like sell this shit to Oprah too. And they ultimately kind of come out on top. And, and I'm like, all right, I, I don't, I think you're trying to pigeonhole whatever Jordan Peele's message might be a little too neatly. And if, and if that was exactly what Jordan Peele was trying to say, I think he muddles his own message a little bit by like having that be where things end up with the Haywood. So I'm still kind of trying to process it, but I'm wondering, Daniel, that was my kind of one quibble with the writing, though I'm open to the fact that like I haven't considered every possible interpretation of this text. So when you made that comment about, hey, you're kind of starting to try and think a little bit harder about exactly how good of a writer he is. What exactly are you getting at? What moment in the what moments in the film are you thinking about? OK, so I think that we give this brother both too little and too much credit. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. You look at us. Right. And I hate that we're talking so much about a movie that, you know, that we're not here to talk about. But hear me out. Us is a movie that, you know, uh, I listened to the podcast y'all did on it. It was you, JB and Alyssa. And you three people talking on the microphone, you come out with like eight different ideas on what this movie's about. You guys are trying to coordinate like how the themes tie into the narrative of what's actually happening. Like, how does that tie in to the what's going on underground and the this and the that and whether the sun might be switched out and this and that. And even though every one of you enjoyed the movie and did get something out of it, I think the fact that everyone has their own different interpretation of it that doesn't actually cleanly you know connect with what actually is going on on screen like people are putting in work to make things make sense on that movie i don't know man you could say like oh it's it's because he's so masterful about this that he's able to generate conversation or you could say that maybe he's just it's just flimsy writing it's just flimsy no uh, i think that I I, I I i wouldn't go that far because like i think I think that's what I kind of like about Peel's movies so far, with maybe exception of Get Out, where I think pretty much everybody has the same interpretation. Of yeah, it. but that's the thing. I think that, and I don't want to spend too much time on us, to be clear. But, but, but what I was getting at was like, what I like about his movies is like, I do like the fact that there's enough ambiguity there and a lot of things that he's clearly doing subtextually 
that it is a Rorschach test for whoever's watching. Like, I don't know. Like, I think that it's one of those things where like, if it were coming from a filmmaker who had such a focused thing to say in his first movie, would we be giving him this credit? If it were James Wan's Us or Ty West's Nope, would we scrutinize it in this way and give credit to the stuff that doesn't cleanly work and well, dissect it and take the time to, or will we just go, oh, it doesn't really work. I no. personally, I, I, I personally think that people are willing, have extended a goodwill to him that isn't entirely unearned, but also isn't entirely deserved. With Nope, I do think that there are a lot of themes you know, there's, there is stuff going on subtextually, which at first I wasn't, I didn't really quite see. But on rewatch, yes, you could take it as a, you know, as a, I, I, JB can illuminate more on his, how he saw the movie. But, you know, I saw it and, you know, like a lot of alien narratives, alien abduction, alien encounter narratives are about man finding his place in the cosmos, you know, and looking at this grand expanse beyond us and wondering what's our place within it. You could look at it as an interpretation of man's need to conquer and dominate nature, especially once the movie turns into, goes from alien encounter to creature feature. You could look at it as Black people trying to stake their claim in the American myth, people trying to forge a sense of identity in a capitalist society that seeks to take credit for all of their labor. I think there are multiple interpretations you could make. I don't think they all cleanly match up with the narrative. Like, I think, uh, uh, Jernival, you actually pointed out something that I've been thinking about, you know, about how this doesn't really work. For example, Gordy, right? I think the Gordy scene actually does work if you look at this movie as, as a movie about man's need to conquer nature. Like, the reason that Stephen Yoon's character believes that he can develop this kind of relationship with this alien creature is because of his experience with that monkey on the set of that show. It goes violent, it goes apeshit, and then at the end tries to reconcile with him, you know, and they connect in that moment right before the monkey is shot. And from that experience and that trauma, he thinks that he was able to connect to that wild beast. So he thinks that he can maintain that relationship even with this alien that he clearly is completely out of his depth in dealing with, and it bites him in the ass. So you could read it that way, but like you said, the main characters are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to take a picture and exploit this thing that they don't understand for profit. And it ends up going to shit. They end up, and, and they ultimately having to kill this thing. So that doesn't cleanly really work. I, I'm sorry, I'm talking a bit long, but like, yeah, this is yeah, where- You, you like, want to cut I you wonder... off because we had a long talk about this, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted me to cut you off after the last Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to say though that, I think that's where the writing of this movie, and I think Peel yeah. just in general, I think that's where the flaws start to show. Well, and I, I here's the thing. I just think like with each movie, there's like one where it appeals where we're going to probably have that take where it's like, well, actually, I think every subtext works here where it fits neatly and one that like completely doesn't. And for me, it's this one. So with like, no, I think the surface read of it is that it's about a movie about spectacle. It's his biggest budget film. Um, and it's about movies, right? They're trying to capture this image, right? And sell it for profit. And then, but I think like deeper, I think the movie, you know, like I think 
UFOs and alien extraterrestrial beings are easy sub-ins for like God because like, they're literally higher beings, right? Yeah. That pretty much every about. single alien narrative is, can be read this way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the movie is sort of about us trying to understand and comprehend and or and capture something that we can't, and that is like God. And I think the even young character Jupe is sort of like this evangelical-like figure. And I think the movie is sort of also about like us playing God and how that doesn't work out. And that's how sort of the Gordy narrative and then also how it connects to uh, what uh, Stephen uh, Young's fate is uh, when he's actually in the eyes of this uh, uh, higher being. But also I think it's about like how death comes at us and we don't know what happens afterwards and it's also unexpected and i think that begins with like how the keith T david character is introduced and killed off immediately in the beginning of the film but it, i don't know it's just it, it this is the thing where i felt like us and get out or whatever i thought he was speaking to so many different things whereas these ideas in this film feel a lot more vague and a lot more smaller for me despite the grandiosity of the film. I agree. I actually, to be clear, completely and a 100% agree with you. I don't think that this works very cleanly at all. I think this is actually, even though I'm not a huge fan of us, I think this is actually his worst written effort. Yeah, because also the characters don't have that great personality as absolutely. this other movie absolutely but, and keep in mind there are some welcome appealisms uh, and also the cast is great everybody from putting in superhuman work yeah uh, kaluuya and again let me make it clear i am glad jordan peele exists right uh, i'm ex glad that he's a filmmaker that's working at this scale in in an industry that normally wouldn't have someone who looks like him at the helm of these movies and that they are such crossover event films and that they're all original films and not ip i like i have the utmost respect for him but my I, like it's kind of funny to me like the appeal is, and, and the worst part about Peel is that he's going to be ripped off so badly and people misunderstanding like what works about him. But the Peelisms that I think can't really be replicated are like some of the interactions between Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, where like they have like their hands. That's the best. Dude, like, the best, the best moment I think of the movie is, didn't I tell you this motherfucker would come up here with a non-electrical camera? Let's go, boy. And yeah. this, oh, man, I got or, electrified. I was like, or, yeah, or, that's what I'm fucking talking about. Or when, like, it's sort of peelism with the, in this scale and it's it's fun is when Kaluuya, that uh, low-angle shot of Kaluuya getting into his truck and with the uh, UFO mm -hmm. hanging over him. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, the best, like, title drop. But here's the thing. I could forgive the smallness of the ideas if I thought as like a movie, as like a fun uh, sci-fi adventure movie or whatever, it worked. But I felt like the plotting and the structuring and the pacing was off on this one where it didn't, um, I, it, like, and again, it's funny. A lot of people, you mentioned the Spielberg-isms. Peel has been very forthcoming about how much like Spielberg has been an influence on like his career and stuff like that. But it's kind of weird because like, with Peel, like how I think there are superficial like Peelisms and sort of misidentifying what is an actual Peel movie, I kind of think 
yeah, like superficially Spielbergian because you have like extraterrestrials or whatever, but that's kind of not what I think of Spielberg or whatever. The movie that I actually was thinking a lot about, despite the fact that, yeah, this movie structured by the second half of the film, like Jaws, where you have this trio in search of this great whale, um, in this case, the UFO, right? And they kind of goes out in a similar fashion as the shark and Jaws. But like, the movie I was kind of thinking about the most is that this resembles Tremors <laughs> more than anything. I, I saw you say that, and I have not seen Tremors. Well, That's Tremors, the one I missed out on. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Tremors is like a similar setting taking place in a desert, and it's about these people on the, again, like there is probably a class element to this film where, you know, OJ and M are sort of on the lower rung of the Hollywood totem pole at this point, right? These are sort of dwellers out West doing their own thing, um, trying to make it in the industry. But yeah, it's sort of them doing this, trying to catch that similar to Tremors, which is basically Jaws with an earthworm attacking like a RV village. But yeah, it reminded me a lot of that. And I think this is what he was going for. But I just think like, and I kind of hated the structure of how it was told from the different animals involved or whatever. I just felt like the pacing and the structuring was just so off that like, I couldn't revel in the fun movie that's potentially there. And keep in mind, there are a lot of fun elements that I did enjoy. Well, see, I actually, this is, I think, our biggest disagreement is that I actually was really wrapped up in the spectacle of the movie. I do agree, though, that Spielberg isn't my comparison piece. My comparison piece would actually be, I think, two movies that me and Jernavoy have talked about and which, if I recall, you are not a fan of. Uh, My comparisons would be X and Malignant. Yeah, yeah. No dead silence. Dead silence. Okay, okay. Look, look, look. No, no, Here's no, no. Thing. Like, like, like. Uh, I've I've seen those two movies. Not a fan of either. But uh, continue. And, and keep in mind, I think Peel sees himself in that type of. Like, those are filmmakers. He he sees himself in the same class as. And and I should say that like, it's a very narrow sort of comparison. But hear me out. I think those two movies and this movie also are all sort of commentaries and uh, reflections of the genre space that they're working in. X is very much a kind of reflection of the slasher genre. Malignant is a sort of reflection of Giallo and those gonzo 80s, 90s, grimy body horror movies like uh, Baby Blood or Basket Case. And this, I think, is a reflection of like that 50s science fiction, you know, that like, I think the most recent one that I saw was uh, in preparation for this was Earth versus the Flying Saucer. You know, something like Them, honestly, not Alien, but like, you know, the giant ant movie that I think we saw together, actually, in theaters. You fell asleep. Oh, yeah, it takes, yeah, and it takes place in the desert, yeah. And it takes place in the desert, yeah. It also keys into this theme about Black America's place in the Western myth. It also keys, I think that the the, the, the best... I guess, trick that this movie has for me is that for all the messiness that I find and how it explores its themes and how it ultimately ties them all together, I think that it does work on like a, I don't know, I don't know how to uh, explain it beyond that. Like, you know, when I go and I watch like the, certainly that final act uh, with the, the actual hunt for the alien, I'm enthralled when, you know, even just the way that he frames these characters wandering around in this ranch oh, environment, right, yeah. you know, back. 
riding on horseback, of course, but like, you know, like he's shooting them from this low angle kind of off center. So like the frame is filled with this negative space of this wide expanse, which in a way heightens the horror because you see the vast expanse of this world around them and realize how small they truly are, which again, keys into that theme about how small we are in the vastness of the cosmos. I think that he beautifully, this is where I'm saying, I think that he has truly developed as a visual storyteller. I do agree that the choice to frame the film around like the animals that they are encountering, it doesn't quite work, but I think that's down to how the messiness of how he explores the themes. Cause if he was able to land the theme of our relationship with nature, I think that would naturally make sense. Oh, I feel, but, I feel like I'm putting, I feel like I'm putting Josh in this, in a position to like kind of criticize this maybe even more than he, uh, quite, quite a bit. So I want to, I want to ask him. And I think uh, the last act is the most effective, um, especially his visual. And this is like sort of the untan, the intangible peelism as well is how he can visually conceptualizes the alien. Um, oh, yes. Um, and how, like, to me, that's, you know, everybody's been talking about how this movie's about spectacle, and that's what he's been ramping up. And, you know, I think it, it it's a well-made movie, but it wasn't until, like, that moment where I'm like, yes, like, this is uh, a delight to see. Wait, even um, during the, like, Jupiter, or are you counting that in the third act? The, like, from the end of the Gordy segment to, yeah. like, you know, like, like, when he goes to pick up Lucky the horse, and, like, they all get abducted. Yeah. Are you counting that in the third act? Because that's like halfway through the movie, I think. Yeah. And also, like, and by the way, let me talk about the Gordy sequence, because it's weirdly the most effective sequence in the movie. Like the one time where I was legitimately scared, like on the edge of my seat. But also it feels like a great sequence in search of a movie. Like, like, (laughs) it's like, like, I'm so torn, man. I'm so torn on that because like I said, I do think that it, I mean, narratively, it makes sense and thematically it makes sense in the sense that it explains why Steven Yoon's character would think that he could have this command of this alien creature and it ties into that theme and it yeah, does, it, but, it, it, but, yeah. but, but also you cut can, that can take- scene out, <laughs> if you cut it out, the movie would play the exact same. Yeah, <laughs> he just like, likes you know, it. Or, but feels or, like. It- Maybe the problem is the Rashomon style of him go cutting back and forth to it. Whereas maybe yeah, if yeah. the opening, maybe it, it would be uh, more effective. You're but right about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, like, there's also that moment when like Kiki Palmer meets Steven Yoon and like he's describing like for some, I didn't really get this to be honest with you. He's describing the SNL sketch. Katan, I'm like, right. Katan was fucking killing it, man. <laughs> I love that. It, I love that. I love and that. I mean, like it's one of those things like clearly this man loves SNL. So I'll just let him, I'll just let him go on that little tangent. But uh, yeah. And then the, for a moment, it cuts to like him underneath the table and it continually like cuts to little pieces and snippets from that scene. And it like, they, I don't know, they, maybe if you just open. Honestly, because at first I was like, and again, you are right. It ties in thematically with what he's trying to say about mm. like God and nature, man. Like, yeah. But also it to me, it felt like, you know, that sequence in The Shining where the blood's coming out of the elevators, right? Yeah. It felt like if Kubrick put that sequence in like Spartacus, you know, like, <laughs> like but like the thing is, it's like I, now that I think about it with that, the, the Gordy sequence, if he just like made that the opening, just the prologue, I think it works like i don't know it just seems like i think it i think it does still work but i acknowledge that that would probably make it cleaner that would probably make it cleaner 
But uh, admittedly, I was not quite as, uh, you know, I still love that sequence, to be clear. It's just that I was watching it and thinking it couldn't be me. I just wouldn't let a chimpanzee do that shit to me. That's just me personally, though. Oh, but, by, the way, by the way, and this is actually a sequence where he is fucking with Spielbergian imagery, right? With the um, monkey paw, which is his company. Yes, um, yes. Reaching on beneath the table for the fist bump. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, like, I, there was a lot visually that I love. I love, like, the, the, I mean, the alien abduction sequence itself where you're getting into the guts of the creature and watching these people be digested, which is also, this was where I love how this movie is in conversation with the works that came before it. So, you know, you get like these moments, which I, again, I got to call out the sound editing here. So like you get these moments before the reveal of what the nature of the alien is, where every, they're out in the desert and they hear faint screaming and like they look around because it could easily also be the wind and you can't really be sure. But then once you get the reveal of what's actually happening, you watch those people get sucked up. You watch the, you know, them being in the guts covered in goo and you realize that they're slowly being digested by this creature. And then you remember that like, oh yeah, there was like, people were talking earlier in the movie about people going missing in the area. And then you start to, and you remember hearing the neighing as like the creature was flying around in the air. And then you realize, oh shit i was listening to the screams of these people being digested i i love that sort of upending of like your assumptions of because you know you look at the the, the classic sci-fi or, that, or even the assumption it was a ufo in the first exactly place. like you look at the classic science fiction that he's riffing on and like the day the earth stood still which i still haven't seen and uh you know the fear of these alien coming to earth is the idea that um, uh, that humans are going to be subjugated by this more intelligent form of life uh, which ties into these Cold War sort of themes, right? But here, you know, you get in this, in just this absolutely gorgeous segment of the movie, uh, you know, the reveal that it's a creature, which in a lesser movie, <clears throat> in a Shyamalan movie, <clears throat> would yeah, kind of come like, off as hokey. All right, fuck you. I like signs more than this. I'm I watch, like no, <laughs> bullshit. I just saw signs earlier today. You are foolish. This shit, is how, son. This is where, okay, we're going to go like three pictures run and like excluding like Shyamalan's actual debut like and just pretend like he had two movies before the sixth sense yeah, yeah, and then yeah. he got to signs and the nigga cannot even block a scene properly. all right this is where he I go. cannot this, block this a scene this is where I go six cents versus get out I go six cents unbreakable versus get us out. I go us, us. unbreakable uh, and no, then every there's Jordan Peele could literally look into a camera while taking a shit for like a straight hour and it will be better than any movie that I've seen from uh from M. Night Shyamalan which includes his only good movie well well you haven't old. seen the happening you haven't seen pull that, that judgment till you see the happening old is his only good movie and even then oh my god and even then but I know, now, now you're just messing with us but no no no, no I like I'm but, uh, that conversation is like who's fucking with who because because like, <laughs> like I'm out here <laughs> all right all right but but Oh no, I was saying about um uh the sequence where like he says yeah, yeah, yeah. feels that it's a uh which is you know just one of these in the middle of this beautifully directed sequence, you know, like he's saying to the sister on the phone, like it's it's not a ship, it's a creature, it's an it's an animal, it's territorial, and it thinks this is its and then the power starts to go out, it's home. And I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. I love that moment. And it kind of flips the assumptions that you had on your head where at one point could have been, even though alien, at least intelligent in a way that we could at least baseline understand that these are reasoning beings. 
this is an animal. This is something that can't be reasoned with. This is something that you have to kind of go up against knowing that there's no way to talk to it, communicate with it, talk it down. This is a creature. And I found that sort of reversal and turning on its head the genre conventions to be just incredibly compelling. We haven't talked too much about uh, about the performances yet. Both of you guys kind of touched on the fact that like this maybe isn't as character driven as the last two movies. So I'm wondering if there was space for you to, in spite of that space for you to kind of appreciate what these actors were doing. Because I think the three above the line performers, I think like obviously all have their own moments, but they're all doing incredibly different things. Yeah, Kaluuya is like our best like facial expression, like actor working yeah. today. He's the best eyes in Hollywood. You you remember his eyes in Widows, dude? That was oh yeah, the oh yeah, (laughs) Yeah. no, he's fucking like yeah, no, 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 like his performance in Widows that like should have like won him an Oscar. Honestly, I forgot about that. Was that the year? That was the year. Oh no, that's that was. I used that the year. That's the year Sam freaking Walkwell won for uh. Three billboards, right? For supporting Look, actors. By the way, by the way, remember when like there maybe this speaks to the many travesties that the Academy has laid upon us since then. But remember <laughs> like that season where we're like like people were like three billboards, that is a front to cinema if they win it. It'd be the worst movie since Crash. Then the fucking following year, they gave you Green Book. Like you didn't mm. know how good you had it with three three billboards. Like I would tell you. But um yeah, you know, actually. Uh, yeah, Rockwell's good in that movie. Like, whatever you have yeah, to say yeah. about it, I think Rockwell's like good. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Kaluuya actually was the year after because wasn't Get Out up against? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, Kaluuya is doing superhuman work. I think that his character, you know, it's very restrained. It's asking him to be very restrained, but I think that he brings a lot of, I don't know, intensity to that role. You know, I found him to be, despite he the fact that he's, you know, very withdrawn and introverted, I found him to be very human. I love the relationship between him and his very outsized sort of sister. And again, these characters are admittedly kind of thin. And it, it kind of does impact the movie's ultimate, like the last five minutes of the finale when like it, he's trying to sell you on this emotional moment. Like, for example, when Kiki Palmer is like, nobody fucked with the Haywoods after the alien blows up. That moment, though, to me, it doesn't fully resonate because not enough work, I think, went into making Emerald her character, making it feel like she has a real stake in like the family's legacy. Felt like she was only there as like a favor to her brother. And I guess the moment that they lock eyes before he seemingly dies, which I don't think anybody ever believed for a moment that nigga was dead, but um like I, I guess in that moment you're supposed to kind of feel like it's a passing of the torch of responsibility but like it just doesn't really fully work at the same time I can't really fault the performer for that because I mean she is just such amazing fun in this movie hell even Brandon Perea as Angel the uh, a comic relief character who I probably should be just annoyed by but I found him to be very charming um, as like the alien obsessed guy who helps them out. By the way, one thing I do like about Peel that's pretty evident across three movies is a like you know Peel has stated that like he cannot see himself like uh, casting like a white person like white male as a lead of any of his movies, right? And so like the type of actors uh, um, that he has elevated, like Kaluuya, like again. We didn't, like, unless you were watching Black Mirror, nobody had known until, like, you got Get Out. And then, like, giving Winston Duke, like, the second lead of um, Us and crazily the first lead performance that Lupita has gotten since, like, her Oscar win. But um, Which wasn't lead either, yeah. 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 
and now like elevating Kiki Palmer uh, to a lead uh, and returning to Kaluuya. What I like about like Peel is a in the sign of a good director, he gets these really great performances. But B, kind of like like a Tarantino or maybe like Wes Anderson or whatever, he definitely has his type of actor. Like there are certain actors that feel like okay like they like from the casting of like keith david to michael wincott where it's like it's clear that he's making these choices that maybe are they're not on the top of like every single studio's casting call right like they Mm -hmm. are informed by his personal influences so like peel being a horror guy of course he's gonna get michael wincott uh him being i I, I didn't didn't really know much about michael wincott before that guy admittedly admittedly i don't either Who, who is michael wincott how should i know him He's like in more recent horror stuff, and he's usually like a bad guy or like a voice uh, of like the villains and stuff. Uh, that voice uh, is okay. I'm not I'm not gonna forget that voice. Yeah, he's got a he's got a great oh he's the prophet of truth in Halo 2. Oh okay. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, I grew up with that shit. Yeah, and then you know, another comparison for this movie, and I think like Peel's filmography as we go further down the line and as he develops his uh voice even more, because I feel like he must be like studying M Knight's trajectory and figured out, okay, get out. Maybe it was like this movie, he just had to get out of the system and would do wildly different things. But once that movie was just like the crazy success it was, he had to like be this brand filmmaker and it kind of affords him to do the type of shit he wants to do. And that's like commercially successful anyway. But like, I could see a world where he has like a carpenter like career. And, and I think that's where, like, casting of, like, Keith David comes in, you know? And this does feel like an 80s, like, Carpenter movie. This feels like this could be Peel's They Live. Yeah, it is more, that is a more similar, a more familiar comparison to me than, like, Spielberg. You know, it's only Spielberg in the sense that it's, like, spectacle at the end. And I think, like, the um, structure. And even then, it's, yeah, and the structure, I suppose. But, like, you know, like, I, I do think that sensibility because at the end i think this is like it, it is a genre movie that i think kind of plays more for the thrills and, and relies on you buying into those than um and it's sort of like a, even though it's like his biggest budget film it's sort of like 60 million dollar budget yeah it's still like a low kind of like more carpenter feel where it's like all right john wick of, three costs more yeah you know carpenter sort of being like you know like with some of his like stuff like big trouble um where it's like all right he's like kind of doing like spielberg like material but on a smaller budget and and also having much more of a social commentator satirical element to him because like there's less awe and wonder in like this film you know and i think that's somewhat of like a cynical like spielbergian trope but i think he is much more interested in sort of the satirical and also the dark like the more um the darker well, elements uh, and, and, and by the way it's funny too because like uh, as i say this is also kind of like i'm kind of falling in the trap of misunderstanding as because like there's a lot of the alien scenes where they're being abducted actually reminds me a lot of like war of the worlds and like when they're trapped in like the tripods as well but mm-hmm. yeah and, and also kind of like war of the worlds you have sort of like a fake out like death ending as well uh oh but, yeah that's true yeah yeah Speaking of which, yeah, uh, I should say that the alien itself, I do love the design. Like, A, it looks like a flying saucer. (laughs) Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, I love it because, you know, these days that sort of design has kind of 
you know, falling out of favor. Well, I like how like it's like it's sort of like and kind of you know going to like the idea of spectacle and like movies and stuff like that. It's sort of like projecting what our conception of an alien what alien might be, and then it completely unravels and it's this it's, Lovecrafty. Oh yeah, that's jellyfish looking fucking like Cthulhu. And the thing you have to remember about like Peel and his origins is like he, you know went to college for puppeteering oh right? he's the puppeteer i was com- one confused whether it was him or key yeah he's the puppeteer and also i'm imagining because he went to sarah lawrence and majoring in puppeteering he definitely has like this art school background to him and so i think that's also in like informed by his love of lovecraft but also like sculpture like it's, mm. it, and but, I love that, like, once you get a closer look at the alien, like, you know, at first it looks metallic when you're seeing it off in the distance, kind of in the dark and such. It looks metallic. But then when you get up close during the daytime scenes, uh, you realize that it looks like you can see the skin and it looks like fleshy. You know, it looks like a fish somewhat. And actually, there's one shot where uh, I think, like, you know, when he deploys, when Daniel Kaluuya deploys, like, the, the parachute and the, the alien banks right. I think they get a shot of its underside and like there is no hole for it to eat. And it's like, for me, that's like a little visual gag. Like the monster has literally puckered its asshole so that it doesn't, cause like, it's like, fuck, I don't want to eat that and get my shit fucked up again. So like, you know, I, I, all these clever little visual things with the monster, I just, I just really loved. And that's by the way, the moment, to be clear, the moment where I was like, oh, this is definitely the right movie for me to talk about is when he said, it's not a spaceship it's an animal and i'm like oh fuck it's an animal movie yes <laughs> yes 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 that's me hey man you probably also like the shout outs to like buck and the preacher oh like, yeah no that's the minute i saw the poster i like you know clapped to myself in the theater like you know because i know that again there's a reason why he's showing you in that this film there's a reference to uh you know this black western that was you know one of the first directorial works of like the the black new wave of the 70s uh from this you know black star uh Jernavoy, buck and the preacher or just, was... or just or just or just sorry go ahead no no i saw something about buck and the preacher being like one of the first black cowboy movies correct yeah, it was Sidney Poitier's directorial debut, if I remember correctly. All right. I, yeah, I, 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 I got confused for a second. I thought you were going to dis-reference the whole entire, which we didn't even really touch on, how the Haywoods, the Haywoods claim that that first picture of a moving a black man on a horse being one of the first moving pictures was like a descendant of them. I didn't know if you, were, if you had any other things. We didn't really even talk about that. I didn't know. Yeah, if like the those. black Western mythos is like something that I don't think I, maybe I would have to see the movie again to really like dissect and examine. Because I feel like there is definitely something there other than like a superficial black man on a horse like i think there is you know maybe like the myth of the west people searching for independence and like the haywoods themselves are sort of independent of this hollywood industry but like forging their own path i think there's a lot there but like i think i'd be doing it as a service but one thing i kind of just realized when i was talking about peel's background as a puppeteer is with these three movies in a row i can now like sort of see like oh he gravitates to horror because he gets to be this puppeteer that's playing the audience like a fiddle every time. Like it's it sort of tracks. And the thing with Peel is just what I kind of like about his career so far is that each move is surprising, you know, and it's to the point where I don't know what he will do next and what he has to say, but I'm, you know, still excited for it. I will say that in terms of the Black Western, I think that there is, like I said, like a, a theme in this movie or undercurrent of like 
exploitation and you know specifically black people like trying to make their place in the broader american culture the black western like of course there were like in the like 30s i think there were like old soundies filmed out here in like southern florida uh, there was like a studio pumping out black westerns like singing cowboy sort of movies but in the 70s you actually did have a bit of a run of black movies you have like of course the the nigga charlie series you know that's the um the fred williamson series you know uh and then you've got uh uh what's it called bucking the preacher you got take a hard ride um you have plenty of these movies and all of these movies in some way sort of contend with black people's placement in the american myth uh, the West is before then pretty uniformly portrayed as like white man's land. You know, it is about settlers coming in and making their claim on land that wasn't theirs, often vilifying like the people that actually that land belonged to. Then these Black Westerns come along and they all in some way sort of contend with Black people trying to make their, I mean, help bucking the preacher, if I remember correctly, it's about Sidney Poitier being hired out to protect Black settlers using the Homestead Act to go and make homes and being run out by white people. He's being hired to protect them. And in the same way, the Haywoods are this Hollywood family that just, you know, claiming at least to like have a place in Hollywood for this entire time. They're being superseded. So you look at the second scene of the movie. Yeah, it's uh, Daniel Kaluuya at the, the movie studio. And he's being, you know, he's trying to tell people like how to deal with these horses and everyone's just fucking ignoring him. You know what I mean? And eventually, guess what? He loses out on his, you know, he loses out on that job, you know, because they're bringing in a CGI horse. You know, this is his family's legacy and he's being removed from it, you know, in favor of like, you know, this white dude, you know, with the CGI horse. So like, I do think that this is a movie that is very much interested in Black people trying to make their place in America and in Hollywood, honestly. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. There's also that, which we haven't talked too much about, that character, the, 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 I guess, what's his name from, uh, from Jaws, the Clint XP, the cinematographer guy. So that character. Antlers Hoy Holst, a great name. <laughs> Beautiful Spike Lee-esque name, but Antlers, you know, in a way he's kind of like the most cartoonish element of the movie. You know, he comes in like almost from a different, entirely different movie that he thinks he's the star of. Yeah. And, you know, he ends up kind of when they have the shot of the alien at the end that he got for them, they commissioned him to do this for them. And suddenly he thinks he's the hero of this movie and he goes and he ends up losing that footage in order to get that one perfect shot to complete his arc, his own personal arc that he thought he was on and ends up dying for it. And in that way, the black characters end up having to take the reins themselves and force themselves into, uh, you know, the history books, you know, Kiki Palmer going to the well and, you know, taking that picture. It, again, the themes and the emotions of these the emotional core of this movie don't don't quite stick the landing, but I do think that it is there. You know what I mean? Speaking of sacrificing yourself to get that shot, uh, Josh, what'd you make of the whole like TMZ little uh, interlude? Actually, I thought, and I love that, like you don't see the TMZ guy without his helmet. I thought that is like an immediate, like how he conceptualized that whole sequence uh, with the TMZ guy. I thought was that that really good piece of peel type tension and surrealism that he inserts in all his movies again like i think like most have been making uh, uh the case about how this is a movie about like spectacle 
and the levels that we go to and trying to capture it and trying to profit off of it, et cetera, et cetera. It just, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of like not as impressed with movies about movie metaphors as I once was, but it just like, I'm not as enthralled by that idea, but I do kind of like how it ties in with this image, one of the first motion picture images of a black man on a horse and how this game-changing image of like our first extraterrestrial being are connected to black people, I, I thought was an interesting thread that he's tying. Captured on film, baby. Yeah, I did appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do have one... I don't mean to do the cinema sins thing. I'm going to be real with you. I don't give a shit about plot holes, right? I don't care that technically speaking, if a motherfucker had a telephoto lens on a DSLR, probably could have taken a picture of this fucking alien, right? I can ignore that because shit's cool. But I do think there are kind of leaps in logic that this film takes that kind of undercut its own emotional core and uh, you know the th- themes that it's trying to explore. And characterization, I should say. So I think the biggest one for me, honestly, is, all right, and I hate to do this because it sounds cinema sinsy, but six months, right? This alien apparently was like being fed by Steven Yoon's character for six months using these horses that he was buying, you know, I'm sure other horses too, but he was purchasing horses off of Daniel Kaluuya's character in order to feed this alien, right? Daniel Kaluuya cares about his family's legacy that's his character's motivation he wants to make a name for his family because he cares about the work that his father put in right uh he intends to buy back the horses he stops by the house and you know he's like i'm gonna get these horses back i want to plan to like repay in order to get the horses back right not once he lives in sight of the place not once in six months did this motherfucker go and say hey let me check up on my horses you know, like, I, mean, like, I, could, I, could, I could ignore, I could ignore like, you know, oh, he just never saw the alien fucking spacecraft in six months. Like it took six months for him to ever notice it. I'm willing to ignore that, you know, movie magic, whatever. He doesn't give a shit about his horses. I don't buy that. I, I had the same thought. And I, t- I, t- I was, I might've just missed a line or something. Cause you might miss a line of dialogue in a movie. If you look down or someone sneezes or whatever, I might've missed like where they actually said that, like he had been sacrificing the horses or to bait the alien, or if that was just like a inference we were supposed to be able to make on our own. But I think I definitely wouldn't have missed Multiple that. Multiple times. I, yeah. So, so they do, they, who says that? There's, there's a, there's a, at the beginning of Steven Yoon's in his like presentation to the crowd, he says mm-hmm. like for the past six months, my family has been born witness to a miracle. At one point, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, when he's shown the cloud and they realize the cloud that's standing still is the alien monster. He says, I think I've been staring at that cloud for the past six months. Like they multiple times, Harry on the fact that the monster has been there for six months. Uh, you know, Daniel Kaluuya points out. No, 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 reason- no, no, no. I got the six month thing. I'm saying did they, where they explicitly said that he, that Jupiter has been had been sacrificing the horses. Oh, that's the show. Right, right. Did it? Did, but they, 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 they said on the like, right. But I don't know if they explicitly say he has been killing the horses. You're just supposed to kind of connect that, like, oh, he's been doing that show over and over again to like in. Yeah, but I, that's I, I, that's that was the show that he was feeding the thing. That's why uh, the reason why the monster uh, Daniel Kaluuya explains that the reason that the alien had thinks has gotten territorial and thinks this is its home is because he's been continuously he's been feeding fed. it. Yeah, he's been getting right. fed. Right, right. I think I think, but like I think I just assumed that like 
he knew his horses were okay because he's like trying to buy them. But he's like, but I, yeah, he assumed that. But like, if he had gone to like check up on them, he might notice that like the horses aren't fucking right, there. He, and, and he obviously didn't, but I spent so much of the movie just assuming that he was because, like you said, he cares about his horses. Like, <laughs> exactly. I, 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 I exactly. think that's why I didn't fully click. This is the, like, that's the one flaw. The one major flaw of this movie is that Jordan Peele doesn't think about the horse lovers in the crowd. That's what problem with this movie. But he yeah. does think about the Yoon's uh, former cast uh, cast member. I did like that touch. Yeah. I, oh, by the way, actually, to the point, like, I do want to point out that apparently I heard somewhere that the the original cut of this movie was like three hours forty minutes. Which, but, but actually, that, that, that's the same. Isn't that the case for every movie, though? Yeah, yeah. That's like an assembly cut. Like, I, I like, I, I, yeah, fair enough. But like, I think there are, like, I think that when we when we talk about how. There are, you know, little bits here and there that don't quite connect, that don't quite make sense when the themes don't really fully connect to the narrative. And I do think that there's probably a lot on the, you know, cutting room floor that probably would have made things if, you know, maybe not tighter, but would have made things, I don't know, flow a little better. I think that the, you know, like, like JB said, like the structure of like you know making them vignettes connecting the creatures it doesn't fully work and i think it's just artificially trying to create a structure to make this narrative make sense when probably probably you could have let i don't know maybe there's stuff there that you could have made this movie longer and like fleshed out the world a little bit more and made things connect more uh, like here's the thing i feel like longer probably would have like made it worse but like i kind of felt like it was kind of like uh and I think it's deliberately like a slow build, but um, uh, but I kind of find it found it plotting um, and not a good way. But I think that they disagree, end- agree to disagree on that one. I fucking dug it. I could have been there for four more hours. This film does like smack of what um, I think I told uh, Journal Boy about like the upcoming Avatar sequels. Like it, it smells of uh, no notes energy. Like out of the three <laughs> films. Out of the three films he made, I think this is the one where the studio like was like, "We can't give you notes. Like, we don't. We, we have nothing to say. Do your thing." We would have. I think it's one of those things. Like, we would have given you a shit ton of notes for Get Out and and Us, but mm-hmm. those were successes. So, what the fuck do we know? You've earned it. I I can't I can't disagree with the no notes point. That's a funny one. Uh, Daniel, is there anything else I haven't asked you about? And sometimes that works, and sometimes <laughs> that doesn't. Fair enough. Daniel, any other points we haven't touched on yet that I haven't asked you about that you wanted to get hit before we finished up? I do want to give a little bit of a shout out to that little, oh, I think I might have actually mentioned it already, the little barn alien sequence where like the kids are playing, are oh, dressed yeah. up as aliens. I found that to be very fun. You know, I remember seeing that in the trailer and thinking like, I wonder how that's going to play. And that was like, I remember being in the theater for that moment and like everyone around going like, oh, no, 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 no. And like immediately his character's like, nope. It, oh. it was, I, I will say that I don't know what the crowd was like when you guys saw it. The second time I saw it, it wasn't uh, a huge crowd. So like I missed out on that. And the, but the first time I did, it was a decent sized crowd. And so everyone was just getting really into it. You could feel the energy. You could feel how people were on board for this movie. And it was just one of the better theatrical experiences. It's also funny. It's, it's not even. It's not even really eye rolly at all. Whenever they say "nope" in here, it easily could be because it's like, oh, it's cute. They're saying the name of the movie or whatever. This but is definitely a movie where you wanted the title dropped. Like this is when we were all waiting for it, and when it <laughs> happened, we were very satisfied. We cheered. It was like when, it, like when Morbius says it's Morbin time. You just can't help but be <laughs> so excited. 
credit to them also for the, the the murky marketing of the movie such that like they really like he was you know we knew it was gonna be alien related but we really knew nothing about the plot and so it's like when those little kid alien sh- kids with the alien mask show up i'm like shit maybe this really is an alien thing i probably should have known better and known that that wasn't an actual alien but like the, he shoots it really effectively and creepy in such a way that you're like when all that right second this- alien pops out too which all actually right. I, it reminds me actually of like now looking back uh one of the better moments in signs when like they're in the cornfield and you see just a shot of the alien's leg yeah uh josh anything else you wanted to touch on before you finish up Nah, like I again, I like the movie. Uh, this is probably his least successful for me personally, but again, like I am always excited to see what the dude does next, and I think we're all gonna just have varying uh peel takes over the next couple of years. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is that. Yeah, and I'm, I, I, as I, well, as far as Peel takes the next couple of years, like I'm, again, like I said at the end That's of us. Even, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I actually, I looked back while we were talking. I only gave Keanu three stars on Letterboxd, but I didn't get Letterboxd until like probably like eight or nine months after I saw Keanu. So I, I, I don't know. Like I, I only have fond memories of that movie. I'd probably uh, put but, Keanu up. I'd probably put Keanu maybe slightly above this. On It depends on the day. Um, but wow, I put both, like, like, yeah, I know I love yeah. Keanu. It's great. Keanu's but I great. put all, yeah. but I put all three above, like way above us, which I, I do I like us as this crowning achievement. I, I still, I, I still don't like us very much, but I liked it far more on this last rewatch, uh, especially after seeing this. Yeah. I might, I might like the us trailer the most out of all of them, but I, I just want to shout out Steven Yeun one more time. I feel like, uh, and Kaluuya, I guess both. I mean, I think we're all agree we love Kiki Palmer's energy, but the appealingness of that performance is just like much more uh, easy to pick up on. And I just think it's kind of cool one for Kaluuya that like, again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, the last thing we, talk, we talked about guys was uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I don't think you could think of one, a more different performance you could give from one to the other what he's asked to do in emulating fred hampton and the kind of speeches and the oration you have uh with that depiction and here it's like just so much of it is just like internal and stoic and in certain ways he was he's he's not unlike in some ways what he didn't get out because that that character is like really being very observational and having to react to just a bunch of stuff and a lot of what goes on and a lot of what makes that performance great and get out is that like he's just having to react to what all those crazy white people are doing and you just have to read it on his face and here it's like man he's not even like he's giving even less away with his expressions as to what his character is thinking here because he's internalizing so much and it's really incredible and with you Stephen Yeun, I just I feel like I didn't I, I just want to before we finished up I just wanted to shout him out again because I feel like we didn't talk enough about that character and what he's doing and the way he's suppressing his trauma and I'm really curious to like you know go back and try and pick up on new things from his performance because I think there's probably a lot more going on there than I gave it credit for but when you're watching like a mystery box movie like this you're it's probably harder to pick up on certain nuances like that I'm sure the second viewing was rewarding for you Daniel and I'd be curious to see like what I could pick up on with something like what, what Steven Yeun is doing, where it's like that's a, a character that's putting on a certain kind of facade when he's, you know, suffered a, a great trauma and uh, is dealing with it in his own messed up way. I mean, we didn't mention the fact that, again, he's he's selling nights in that memorabilia room for like $50,000 to people that want to be like trauma porn tourists or something. And it's it, it, I, there's like so much to unpack there. I don't even know if we touched on it. And I, I don't feel the need to like make you guys talk about the meaning of this movie for like another 20 minutes. But like it, it's but we could. 
Sure. But like, uh, you have to go to work. Uh, but like, you know, I, I just think it's really interesting that like he, ch- Jordan Peele chose to like tell his story about the, we, about the way we consume media through that particular character. And like, yeah, we, I got to laugh out of that SNL thing, but like, there's probably something else going on with every single choice he makes in that performance. And I think it's, I'm really glad that he was able to get Stephen Young to do this. And I look forward to watching it again when I have the time to do so. Yeah, I think I think that's about it, guys. I I I'm, I think we uh, we we did pretty well covered overall. It's just a it's it's a it, it tries to accomplish so much, like I said before. And I I, I just I, I respect him for going for it, even if like we kind of talked about where we think maybe he didn't hit. I think there's just so much to really hold on to in this movie, regardless. And I'm uh, glad I talked about it with you guys, Daniel. Anything else you want to uh, plug before we re- get out of here? Other things you've been watching or things as you kind of prepared for this movie? Anything you came across? Anything like that? Yeah, I like I said, I'm a huge fan of like the 50 science fiction and actually alien like interact alien like invasion alien um, um, discovery narratives. Right. I, I want to say, of course, fire in the sky, you know, greatest alien abduction sequence ever put to film Predator 2, one of the best sci fi action movies ever made along those same lines. Like, of the- I'm so frustrated just that neither me nor Jordan Roy have seen Predator 2. So we can't stop you on that. No, no, he has seen Predator. I know, I know. He just chose not to stop me. He just no, chose I, I, not to yeah, stop. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I thought it was the worst one. I watched all the Predator movies in advance of, <laughs> of, of, of do. Of, I've watched all the Predator movies in advance of doing the Shane Black Predator podcast mm-hmm. with Daniel. But I'm pretty sure I hated Predator too. I don't really. Yeah, remember you it. did. It yeah, really you did. But you, you yeah. did, and you couldn't tell me why. Wait, you thought it was worse than the Alien versus Predator? Predator? Or we, we didn't watch got... that one. It was just the mainline Predator movie. I think, okay. I, saw Alien, I, think I, I did see Alien versus Predator in in theaters when I was like in ninth grade or something like that. I don't really I remember. I to see that one. But all right. Um. But but beyond that, um, extra baby blood. These are some of like the most like grimy sort of. Uh, this is more actually the style in the style of malignant, but a bad taste. You know, low budget, very goopy, gory, funny horror movies. Of course, Under the Skin, which is like one of the most imaginative sci-fi movies of the past like twenty years. I fucking love uh, Under the Skin. It's actually coming to I think HBO Max. Uh, next month with a bunch of A24 movies. Uh, from the classic period, you got like stuff like the Earth Die Screaming. You got like It Conquered the World from like Corman, you know, Earth versus the Flying Monster. I mean, the Flying Saucers. I, 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 I'm just a huge fan of this sort of genre, man. And, you know, again, if, you, if you're curious about, you know, that poster, I do recommend The Buck and the Preacher. That one's uh, the, the Black Western directed by Sidney Poitier, also starring Bel- Harry Belafonte. Both are brilliant in their roles and it is on uh, Criterion, I believe, at the moment. One more recommendation, though, it is, I think, I saw this, you know, uh, shortly after I saw Nope, and it eclipsed it. I think this is, like, my number five movie of the year so far. It is brilliant. It is called Baby Assassins. It is an action movie from Japan uh, about two girls just out of high school. They're assassins, and the agency they work for forces them to go live together. It is a kind of like a Tarantino sort of riff, like, you know, those Tarant- those self-aware crime action movies that came out in the wake of Tarantino. But even that, I think, shortchanges the movie. This has just got so much more heart. Uh, this has got just, it's just so fucking funny. And it's got some of the best action of the year. Granted, not a ton of it. But, you know, when you're having so much fun with these characters and this kind of slice of life narrative of them trying to make a living, like, exist in a world that is just so 
soul crushingly capitalistic like i i i do quite love this movie i'm probably going to be rewatching it multiple times throughout the year and i cannot recommend it enough it is right now a high ya exclusive which is like the shutter for martial arts movies um so sign up for the free trial for a week watch this movie and uh beyond that i guess it'll hit streaming in a little bit longer all right cool josh anything you want to plug uh like movie wise um lately i've just been kind of on a bergman kick specifically like his 60s period the one that kind of surprised me the most was this movie shame that he did uh yeah, which i think is sort of like a deeper cut bergman but that one's like you know i think like is bergman's an interesting director to sort of like study because a like his influence on like a lot of like art house like horror and stuff like that but b just like he is at the end of the day like a low budget like uh director just shooting a lot of stuff in interior spaces but like his shot compositions the sensuality of his films the philosophy there in the dark irony and stuff and how he can get into very like experimental um territory in both the themes and the filmmaking like in persona and stuff like that i just um been really enjoying it and maybe i'm in a weird dark headspace too um I mean, but i guess there's a point in your life where you're just like you know what i, I see things the way bergman sees them <laughs> It's funny. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I I don't really have anything I was going to strongly recommend that I've watched since the last podcast I recorded, though. I did drive like 30 minutes south to the Art House Theater on FAU's campus on Saturday morning to watch Claire Denise, Both Sides of the Blade, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, is not completely dissimilar from uh, Scenes from a Marriage in some in certain ways. So uh, if you like Scenes from a Marriage and Uh, And I mean, again, every time I try and like compare any of Ben Lubin's favorite directors to anyone, he just about has a heart attack, I think. So that that was why we love to do it. It's why we love to do it. That that, that was probably something incredibly offensive to him that I just said, even though I know he really loves Claire Denis and uh, and Ingmar Bergman. But like, uh, it's just like if you like the idea of like, you know, something that really uh, a really intense domestic drama of people yelling at each other in rooms like you might like both sides of the blade. And I think it wasn't necessarily my favorite Claire Denis movie but like you know I think we should support her and support our theaters in America showing her movies so uh check that out if you have the chance to do so uh, uh as far as any social media plugging Daniel felonious funk on letterbox correct hell yeah and uh Josh uh is uh I don't remember your letterbox username what is it jkb1626 yeah there we go there you go and uh brown film collective for Josh on Instagram as usual I'm Josh Chernoboy j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on twitter and letterbox podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com and twitter is at rewindmoviepod send all feedback that way coming up next on the podcast i think we are finally going to have an episode on uh where the crawdads sing with a uh, recurring guest kayla lichtenstein and uh logan abbott who uh their significant others have guested multiple times together before but i've never had them at the same time so i am looking forward to that in august uh we're gonna have it's daniel's time of year he's there's like seven different actions movies he's requested to do podcast on so we're gonna see just uh just how just how hard we can uh, i was about god i was about to say how hard we can work each other and that that sounded exactly <laughs> <too. laughs> no nope, uh, mine's in the gutter tonight there there is a uh, pl- plenty of other podcasts coming so uh th- thanks again so much so it's very fun to have josh and daniel back on the podcast together so i want to thank them again for joining i want to thank everyone for listening and we'll see you next time